You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 208, James Prescott and Processing Grief Well. God uses that stuff to shape us, friends. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Thank you so much for joining me. I absolutely appreciate that you are here, that you're listening. Uh, This is going to be an exciting conversation. Before we get there, I want to remind you, if you haven't gone out to HalfwayTherePodcast.com, that's where you can find show notes. You can find, um, you know, all the links that we talk about here today. You can find also, um, you know, link to Patreon, for instance, if you love the show, you want to support it, means something to you, support us. Even if it's just five bucks a month, I would appreciate that. Helps us keep halfway there running. And uh, I'm grateful to all of my patrons over there. So today, our guest, um, I found him through Twitter and I just kept liking his tweets. And then uh, we started tweeting back and forth and we decided to to do uh, some podcasting. So he's an author and a podcaster. His podcast is Poem, I believe, right? Uh, it's James Prescott. James, welcome to Halfway There. Hi. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. I'm uh, really great. I'm so glad that you're here and uh, you're coming to us all the way from London, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. you can probably tell by the accent. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm from the UK. <laughs> I'm from near London. Yeah. And uh, that's where I kind of grew up and that's where I live now. Yeah. Yeah. Give I've, us. I've got relatives in Scotland as well. So I've got Scottish blood in me. There you go. But, uh, but I'm, uh, but yeah, I'm kind of from just outside London, the southeast of England. Yeah. I need to figure out. So the Nevins side of my family is kind of unknown to me because my grandfather Nevins died when my dad was 11, but I'm told that that name comes from like Wales or, um, or maybe Ireland. I can't, I've seen both, but I don't know. It sounds like, it sounds kind of a Welsh kind of name. Sort of Welshy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just from the sound of it. Yeah. The way it's pronounced everything. It's like, yeah. Sounds like a Welsh name. That's interesting. I, mean, I don't know. I have no knowledge whatsoever. We'll, we'll just pretend like <laughs> we know what we're doing. Yeah, sounds a bit like Welsh, like a Welsh, like a Welsh name. Yeah. Very cool. Well, anyway, so that's interesting. Um, all right, James, tell us. I gave like the briefest of introductions. You're an author and you're a podcaster. Tell us a little bit about where God has you now and and what you're doing up to. What you're doing. Well, right now, uh, I'm in a really interesting place right now. I mean, obviously, we're recording during the pandemic. So we're all at home, a lot of us. Um, yep. But the last four years, five years for me, have been a big journey into myself, into my past, into my faith. Uh, kind of processing grief, acknowledging grief, and deconstructing my entire life, not just my faith. Uh, and so it's really interesting what's happening now that I see with people because we're all going through a major grief right now and a major trauma and for me there's a sense of familiarity about it because I've processed all this stuff before I've been here before um, and I survived and so all the things that I learned about how to process grief and trauma in a healthy way in the last five years I'm now to actually put into practice Wow, yeah. um, and it's really interesting how I I had been struggling with God, not with Jesus, with God, um, because of that inner child kind of thinking. I mean, this will take me back to my story. Um, I went through a major childhood trauma. Um, there was uh, addiction in my home. There were parents fighting, um, kind of neglected. I was bullied as well. Uh, highly sensitive person, uh, probably on the autistic spectrum, but undiagnosed um, because it was the 80s and 90s and <laughs> right. the awareness. Uh, so I had all of that happen, which obviously was a major, major trauma. And then, and there was a lot of grief involved in that as well, because my mother had an asthma attack when I was eight years old, which changed her in that she lost her short term memory and it ended the life we could have had before that. So and the life that I had remembered before that. 
So that was a major grieving for all of us. And then when I was 23, my mother died. So, you know, my life had been kind of full of grief and trauma and mental health stuff. And, and that obviously affects your faith. And you start, so your child starts to think, well, you know, where was God? If God is all right. powerful and loves me, why did he just sit and watch that happen to me and not do anything? Yeah, um, okay. I want... That part, he was never able to reconcile that with God. But it's weird because recently, I've been doing a lot of inner child work recently, and self-parenting and self-soothing and communicating with my child um, and EDMR therapy as well. But at this time, but at this, at this point in history, I'm feeling like, Oh, right. Okay. I sense this spirit, this shift in consciousness and in the spirit over the last four or five years. But it was at a very low level and not many people could notice it. But now it's coming into major consciousness that this is happening. That, that grief and trauma is happening? Sorry? That grief and trauma is happening? Well, yeah. In that, in, in that the things that, in that this shift, this, this shift in kind of spiritual consciousness. And where the spirit is moving us is happening. Like God is, it's almost like God is taking us through this collective grief. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that He's planned to have right. the coronavirus. I don't believe that at all. I'm not into that kind of theology. Um, but He is using this in order to help us all deconstruct our lives and our beliefs. Now, Maybe that come out of people start to go. There's two responses to grief. You can either embrace certainty, uh, including religious certainty or addiction or some kind of coping mechanism which helps you avoid dealing with the pain, uh, like a, you know, even a stable job or like even like a mortgage. Sometimes, like you, you have all you have to build these structures in your life which the impression that your life is all together mm -hmm. and it's not uh, you're just hiding from the grief and the trauma so some people come out of grief and trauma and do that and some people come out of it and choose to go into the pain and feel the pain feel the grief and deal with it and sometimes things get worse before they get better but they do get better and they end up healthier this is my own experience this is what this has been the experience of my journey, and I believe this is actually the, the experience Jesus has over Easter as well. Oh, yeah, because he, he, he doesn't avoid the pain. I've been, yeah, I've been so stuck on John 11 or John uh, 13 recently, where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, you know, and this whole idea that like he's throwing barbs at Judas the whole time, it's very human, right? He's he's like, well, not all of you are clean, right. You know, and he's kind of casting these sideways glances. And it's, yeah, it's coming from some of that, right? That's right. And and the, the interesting thing about Judas as well, for me, is Jesus calls, when, when Judas is coming to betray him, Jesus calls him friend. Yeah. Wow. He calls him friend and he still loves him and gives him the bread and wine before he goes off. You know, and there's a, there's a sense of like, I, I resonated with, I had an experience where I resonated with that story of, because I had a lot of anger at God. I used to get really angry with God when I was at home on my own and shout at him and tell him I hated him and he didn't care about me and he forgot me, ignored me, didn't do anything to help me when things were really difficult. And when I saw this verse and I was doing the work, I got I had a moment where I realised, oh, all those times I've been shouting at God, Jesus had been just standing there saying, just friend, do what you came here to do. Yeah. Um, wow. Just let it all out. It's okay. I can take it. Just let this all anger all out. Just it's okay. Right? And it was always like, oh, I was crucifying Jesus right then. That's what I was doing. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I and mean, he was just letting it happen because of, and, you know, it was just an example of divine grace mm -hmm. and love. And yeah. Man, I love so, that. Oh, is it all right? Take the vinegar when he's on the cross either he's offered vinegar to numb the pain yeah he take it he wants to feel the pain 
And when he when he rises from the dead, he doesn't hide his scars in a new body. He shows them off to people. Right. As in, like, right. We don't hide our scars. We own them. I saw somebody recently. I don't know if it was Twitter or or uh, Facebook, but somebody had asked, "Do you think Jesus will have scars in eternity?" I said, "Oh yeah, forever. He's got those, right? Because he literally is God in flesh forever, right? He he will forever be God in a human being. So he's he's got those. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah." I want to I want to go back into your story a little bit and just maybe we could share some some stories and you've come, kind of uh, given us a really great overview, um, but I want to hear how how you thought about God and how God showed up in your life and what your impressions of God were as we were going. So, um, like as a kid, interesting. You know, it sounds like you had um, you know kind of this big defining moment when your mom had the asthma attack. So before that. Was God like part of your life? Were you guys always, your family always believers or? Yeah, I, I went to church from the age of, well, zero pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I was baptized in the Methodist church in the UK when I was a baby. Uh, started Sunday school and play group at, at my local church. Would you do me a favor and yeah. describe that for me? Because I'm wondering if it's different. I would assume that it's like, you know, the same, but I don't want to assume that. So what is it like being a Methodist in the UK? Well, I mean, I wasn't really aware of theological things. But sure. We had, we had women vicars. So we had women preaching. And, you know, this is in the 80s as well, I remember. <laughs> they were pretty early on, on that train, I think. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty progressive, actually. Uh, it was... It was a real family. It was a real community. I remember that. Everyone knew each other. Uh, there were no cliques. And it was a safe place. Uh, we, I was friends with the vicar's children as well. And it was, um, it was a really great, thriving church. Um, I, don't know much, I didn't know much about theology, but it was... But if it had a woman vicar, it must have been relatively progressive. Yeah. Um, for its time. And, uh, you know, I was never taught anything about women not being able to lead, ever. I wasn't taught kind of the patriarchal view of men and women's roles. Yeah. In my church. I was never taught that. Um, I think that's a real, it's sort of an American Protestant thing at this point, yeah. is my guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Anglican church, the Anglican church in the UK was quite slow to embrace it um than the church of england but um but it sounds like from church in the uk but um uh, but i was in the yeah i was in the methodist church yeah um, i hear you saying you had a lot of community it was really sort of you were yeah. close to people yeah safe place and the, the the interesting thing is that when i had my mother had the asthma attack it was april the first it was the monday of holy week oh wow at holy week Three people in our church have major things happen to them. My mother had her asthma attack and ended up in a, on a ventilator in hospital. She thought she was going to die. The vicar's daughter fell down the stairs, poked her eye on a stair gate, and had to go and have major surgery and all of that kind of thing. Um, damaged her eyesight, you know. Wow. Um, and somebody else in our church had a heart attack or something. And I remember that. All in the same week. Wow. It was all in Holy Week. And it was, I don't, I, I also don't remember what it was like in the church, but the church, I think the church were feeling, oh, this is, oh, this is a spiritual attack. Sure. Kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, and they, it brought the church together. Um, people were praying, I think, and there was a lot of, a lot of that happening. I, I don't, I don't really remember it too much. All, all I remember is, is every night I had a babysitter. Oh, yeah. You know, my dad was in hospital every night. He'd come home from work and then go to the hospital. I didn't see either of my parents too much. Uh, and that did have an effect on me because I, mean, I was actually talk, talking to an EDMR therapy about this, therapist about this the other night and I realised what happened. is Because I had this really traumatic experience. I actually walked down, I actually saw my mother before she, just before she went into hospital. I wasn't meant to. I was meant to be asleep in bed, but I couldn't sleep. 
and I came down the stairs and I saw her sitting on the chair not breathing. Oh, wow. Weeping. You know, for an eight-year-old, he's sensitive as well. And I didn't get any explanation as to what was going on at all, other than that she was not well. And so the, 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 the ambulance people took her, took her to hospital. My dad followed straight away. Babysitter arrived. I wasn't told anything about what would happen. Um, so what I realize now is I was confused. I was, I didn't understand. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know whether my mother would come back. I didn't know whether I'd see her again. Um, you know, my, my dad had gone as well and I was confused and didn't understand and was anxious and worried and traumatized by what I'd seen probably, put in shock. So that was a major trauma. That just that, just that just I bet. itself was a kind of trauma for me because, uh, and I realized that a lot of the abandonment issues that I've had and trust issues that I've had since then were down to that moment. That where, if I, I mean, if I had slept through and just woken up and she'd been gone and I'd been told, it would have been less traumatic. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, so what, what, what was your sense of God during that season? So you kind of talked about that. You weren't, you weren't really. I don't remember going to church much during that, that time. Uh, I probably did go to church, but what I remember is that, ch- that is that the church kind of rallied around and provided mm. babysitters. I had a babysitter every night. There was a babysitting circle in the church. Um, and so most of a lot of members of the church lived lived quite close by. So I got had a babysitter every night. That wasn't a, that was one one way I experienced it. I think they probably provided us with food as well. I think I wasn't surprised. Um, I don't really remember to be honest. I mean, I was only eight years eight years old anyway, so I probably would, wouldn't remember. But um, I think I blanked a lot of it as well, which is normal. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of God, I don't know. I, I'm always surprised if I prayed at some point for my mother to, mother to get better. Um, the real experience of God through that whole experience was when she woke up. Mm. Because the first thing, when she woke up, she rang my dad and she said, I'm back. And he said, great, great. Where, where have you been? And she said, I've been with Jesus by Galilee and he sent me back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. He was really clear about what had happened as well. It was. Oh, what did you make of that? I know, right? <laughs> and so I heard that and I was like, okay. All right. Okay. I think that actually gave me a way in to faith that I hadn't had before. Because, okay, I want to hear about this guy who you were with and who sent me back. Uh, like you gave her back to me, so I'm, I'm gonna have a listen to what you've got to say. Wow. Yeah. I think that I, I don't know that wasn't a conscious decision, but I think that's what happened subconsciously when I heard that because because it was yeah she was very 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 vivid about it and um, it was very clear this was a real experience for her. Um, so and my dad certainly believed it was real uh, as well, and she talked about it subsequently quite a lot. So, yeah, that was a really big, that was the big impact on my faith, actually. Um, that, that, that whole thing of. Yeah. Having with Jesus. So that kind of sent you toward Jesus. Yeah, absolutely yeah. did. Yeah. There's no doubt that had a big impact on me leaning into my faith in a way that I hadn't before yeah so after that did your faith start to become more of your own because you said you were 11 so you know you were growing anyway but what was yeah i, I was you know I'd, I'd gone to church and i'd been all i had a curiosity about it but now i think i think then i started to have an active interest in in learning about jesus and the bible and, and going to church and getting involved in church uh, you know and most of my friends were in church as well so Again, it kind of just became my world for quite a long time. Mm. I didn't really think about theology in terms of like different, all the issues that we talk about now. I didn't really think about that. It was more about Jesus and who he was and what he taught and what he did. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. And the kind of person that he was that fascinated me. Mm. Uh, Jesus has always fascinated me. 
more than God, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in Jesus. I've always empathised with him because, as somebody pointed out to me a while ago, Jesus lost a parent. Jesus had a traumatic childhood, probably. He was social outcast. Jesus um, was betrayed and abandoned by his friends. He was, and he went through a major emotional, physical trauma, right, um, which left big scars. And so when I when I heard all that together, it was like, oh, his story is not too much different from mine <laughs> in some ways. That I can actually sit with him and have solidarity with him uh, and be close to him. It brought me closer to, to Jesus. That so Jesus has always been a big part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, how did it become your own? Or did you ever make a, a personal decision or like, what was, what was that? Yeah. I made a personal decision when I was about 15. Um, I was part of a choir or something and we did a performance. I can't remember what it was. It was a, it was kind of a well-known Christian bit of music. And I was singing it like an, like a kind of classical one. Um, and I had a, a spirit of the spirit during it. It was, uh, and it wasn't like any, it wasn't kind of a Pentecostal evangelical church at all, but I felt something different. Mm. It wasn't just an emotional thing. It was a deeper thing. And I thought, okay, I want to commit to this. So I, I got confirmed because in the Methodist church, you don't, uh, you don't, once you've been baptized, you can't be baptized twice. So I had to get, I got confirmed into the Methodist Church and that was basically my where I gave my testimony and yeah you know that that was basically it so that's when I would say I kind of became a Christian in the way that people talk about that uh, and yeah it became a bigger part of my life over the next few years definitely. yeah what'd that look like did was did you have somebody who discipled you or was there like a you know where you like reading the Bible every day or like, what was, what was that like for you? Well, it really kind of took off at university because I got involved with the student union, uh, the Christian union at, at, at university, quite a very evangelical Pentecostal because it was in the nineties, right? So I was at university in the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah. Just after the um, Toronto blessing and things. And that was coming over to England. And so there was all this kind of, you know, evangelical, charismatic, people falling over, speaking in tongues, <laughs> all that kind of thing, raising hands in the air when they're singing, that was all happening. And of course, I was a student, so it's happening, it was happening a lot among students. Like, I mean, it was, you know, you're, you've got a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. Right. A lot of enthusiasm and a lot of passion. So I was getting really involved in that. Uh, I was, again, I wasn't thinking about the theology of it at all, really. It was more, the experience and the relationship with God, the connection with God that was interesting. And I did find, I found a prayer triplet when I was at university. Um, two guys who were older than me, more mature Christians, and became really close friends. Um, we used to meet every Sunday before church and talk to each other, pray together, and have, have a meal together. Um, and it became a ritual. It was, it was brilliant. It was, it was really good for my spiritual growth. I started to get really into prayer as a kind of oh, really? spiritual gift, I guess you call it now. It, it's spiritual gift. Well, in what way? What does that mean? What is? Well, I used to. I don't know. I, I mean, there was other people that kind of told me that I had this gift. So I used to, used to tell me that I prayed really well. That I, I heard <laughs> from God. I got words from God quite a lot words and things i got you know words for people pray quite eloquently everyone thought my prayers were great um, and i did feel like i had a kind of connection in that way and i think one of the reasons i had that was because this goes back to when i was a teenager during the worst worst years of my my worst teenage years when my mother was was drinking um, because of what happened to her she was depressed uh, and my parents were fighting and I was getting bullied at school and I had no one to talk to. Every night I had prayed to God. I just, and it wasn't like a, can you fix this kind of prayer? It was more just telling him about my day kind of prayer. 
telling you how I was feeling, uh, telling you mm. what I was going through. Yeah. Did you talk to your friend? So that became my prayer life. That became how I prayed. So I so I prayed a lot by the time I got to university. So it's natural that I developed a, a gift for it. I think. Well, I I also think it, it sounds like and you tell me if this is true. It sounds like you had a very intimate relationship with the Lord that you developed during time, a time that might've been lonely and other people hear that other people don't have that. That's pretty special. So they might hear that and go, Oh wow. That's, that's a gift. It is a gift, but it's, it's unusual. It's interesting now because it's 20 years ago. Sure. It's over 20 years ago. And um, I don't have that relationship. I don't have that prayer life that I did. Mm-hmm. Now, my faith—I mean, my faith has evolved completely. Uh, it's transformed in that in that time. But back then, it really was quite intense, and um, so that was my spiritual journey then. And then I came back from university and found an Anglican church with a whole bunch of new friends, and then my mother passed away. So. Uh, that didn't have an effect on my faith. Um, in fact, it was my spiritual community that helped me get through that in a big way. They all kind of rallied around when they found out. I remember actually the church service where the vicar kind of asked me, offered my permission if he could say it publicly in the service um, as part of the prayers, you know. Um, and I said that he could because it was easier for him to tell everyone than me. So, and then after the end of the service, everyone just kind of rallied around, kind of, kind of came to where I was sitting and gave me a hug and, and prayed for me and everything. And that was really great. Uh, and they were all really supportive. I didn't get any of the, oh, she's going to be in heaven. It's all okay. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which you don't really want to hear, by the way. <laughs> That's not the way to comfort somebody who's just lost somebody. Uh, it really isn't ever. Yeah, it it sounds like it might be a good way, but it's really not because you're just in the middle of this uh, shock and you know trying to trauma. So it doesn't it doesn't actually help. Even even if theologically you'd believe that they're in, uh, you know, with the Lord, it's you know it doesn't matter at that moment. Yeah, right. My mother's death was a big moment in my spiritual journey because I think at that point it became, oh, this God I believe in is not big enough for me. Not big enough for my childhood trauma and not big enough certainly for Mm. my mother. So I had all these, suddenly I had all these questions and doubts and queries and started to question everything. Uh, Question religion, to question church to question theology to question you know it was it was almost the start of my real growth um and i couldn't admit it to myself for about five years because i didn't want to i had the kind of structure of church around me that was that was good and you know stable and i had all my friends there and it was you know so i i didn't i didn't do that and i even went on a gap year with youth for the mission in those five years oh wow uh, and that actually is where the writing started because I'd always been a bit at writing. That would be my that would be my strongest subject at school, you know, English. Um, but I'd never thought about writing as a kind of thing, job, um, or vocation or anything like that. And during that gap year, I part of the assignments were written assignments, and so I did those. And the feedback I got was, "You've got a real gift here. You need to start exploring this." Like, you know, you have well. to. Um, because you've got a gift here that you can use to serve God and serve other people. So I so I'd started writing in that five years and started a blog and things. Uh, really small blog, you know. I mean, it wasn't like a big big thing. It wasn't really that professional. It was just a my own kind of my own kind of spiritual journal in a way, and my spiritual reflections. And so I had all these questions, and then finally. What, like what? Oh, sorry, before you go there, what were your questions? Well, it was like it was the questions that you're not meant to ask. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. 
And there was somebody in, in my church who challenged me on a lot of these questions. And it got me thinking, like, you know, I, I agree with that question. It was, you know, I can't even remember what the questions were, but it was just, it was just things that you don't question. Well, I hadn't questioned in my life. But uh, maybe I should question this. Like, should I, should I doubt God? Should I have questions for God? Should I question God himself? Um, you know, is this the only way that you can interpret this? Is there a different perspective on this? Is there a different way of believing this? You know, who is this God? Like, why he doesn't doesn't he doesn't just get to get my unconditional support anymore? I have to trust in him and ask him what's going on. I have a grown up relationship with him. Yeah, push back when in a way that I hadn't pushed back before. Yeah, it was, uh, and this came to a head when I was uh, I was at a camp, an event charismatic evangelical event in the UK ironically enough <laughs> and they had this big like marketplace place there which sold books and DVDs and stuff and I was walking around and I saw this video playing on a, on a screen and it was a NUMA DVD oh yeah right I think yeah it was the one in the store the one about anger which was Rob Bell's thing which was Rob Bell's thing yeah and so I saw it and I thought Wow, this looks interesting. This is really, this is different. This is my kind of thing. So I bought a couple of them. And then I saw he'd written a book as well, Velvet Elvis, and I bought that book. And I, having not really read much too much, I've not been a really good at reading. It's ironic because I'm a writer. I should be brilliant at reading. But <laughs> I read this book in two hours flat in one wow. sitting. I just opened it almost out of curiosity, and then I just couldn't put it down. And it was like, it was like water in the desert. It was like, oh, this is what I've been thinking for five years. Yeah, it, it gave you something is like, oh, yeah, those are actual questions that people can ask. Yeah, it's like, oh, somebody else is actually asking this. I'm allowed to ask this stuff. This is, this is legitimate. I can actually do this. So that was a springboard for me then into moving to a new church. Um, it was it was kind of part of the emerging church movement, which was quite big at the time. Uh, there was it was there was a lot of liturgy there, which I Celtic liturgy and that kind of thing. Uh, they were asking theological questions. They were challenging kind of theological norms, uh, and there was rooms for questions. There was room for exploration. There was room for mystery, and I was like, yeah, this is this is great this is home so i started going now i became that became my spiritual home for a long time and i was growing i was definitely growing in my faith um but i think what i didn't realize at the time is that i was building a different kind of structure around my pain i mm. got a lot of counseling for my grief i had which had gone really well. I had had prayer ministry for it, and this had all really helped. And so I got to a place where I was managing managing it, but I sensed there was still something deeper that wasn't being tackled that I needed to deal with. But I kind of almost put it aside and just built this structure of a life where I had a stable job and I had a mortgage and I had a uh, I had a house group and I had church and it's the regular structured life and it looked healthy on the surface and and in some senses it was healthy you know i shouldn't deny that in some senses it was healthy but i was also hiding running away from things that i hadn't dealt with like the heart of my grief and pain and anger um at what had happened to me and unresolved stuff from my childhood which i didn't even know existed and so that was all there in the background. Yeah. And it came to a head, really. I mean, when my, I was still growing. I was still asking all these questions. My theology, I was now aware of theology, and my theology was 
really shifting drastically um, beyond kind of a like what you call group, like the like group now, whether it's progressive Christianity or conservative Christianity or ex-evangelical or anything. I I didn't really belong to any any of those groups. It was more I had my own journey, you know. And I was way. I mean, I was kind of talking about LGBT inclusion and stuff, you know, uh, like a long time ago. Like, and it was like to me, it just seemed normal. And it was like when people talked about women equality and, and LGBTQ equality, it wasn't like a big issue for me. It was like, well, this is kind of how I felt already. I just didn't say it. Yeah. I just went along with everybody else because I didn't want to question what I was believing. But I'm actually asking the questions. It's like, well, yeah, it's just common sense that you have full LGBT inclusion and full women equality and all of those kind of things. It, it, you know, it didn't ever cross my mind that it could be anything other than that. I didn't have this big theological breakthrough with those things. But I think I already, deep in my soul, believed in them, believed in mm. LGBT equality and female equality and all of that. So that wasn't a big shift, but I never talked about it. <laughs> right. Because people in my church, which called itself a progressive church, who had traditional views on LGBTQ equality especially, we'll come to that later, actually, uh, and, and and even some who had had traditional views on on leadership, and so there was a really interesting dichotomy in the church. Um, but there was a big moment in the church where the pastor's parents both took their own lives. Oh wow! Within six months of each other, and he'd been estranged from them both. They were separated. Obviously, that was a big traumatic experience for the church, but especially for the pastor. And with my experience of grief at the time, I said to myself, this will go one of two ways. Either we will go further into doubt, mystery, questioning, exploration, or we will move back into certainty and become more, more Religious, I suppose, is the word. I don't, I don't like I don't think that's that word. But certainly more structured, more certainty. Um, we kind of retreat and stop asking questions. And that's what happened. Oh, yeah. That you moved more toward, hey, well, this is how God is. And that's what. Yeah, there was much more certainty. It became yeah. more. It wasn't conservative in its theology, but it certainly became more conservative in how, in how they believed. And in how things were done, it was all, this is what the, the pastor believes, so therefore everyone else has to believe it. And you don't question it, because this is what God says. And I didn't like that. And the language started to be more, even more Christianese than it was before. And we did things that we had never done before. The, the, the pastor said, we will never do this. Like the Alpha course, which is like this discipleship course, in the UK, it's huge. It's oh, really? Yeah, we have it here too. Evangelical kind of Christian course for new for new converts or people who are interested. Yeah. But it's very evangelical, you know, what uh, you would call that, that label in its perspective. And we said, oh, we will never do that. We will never do that. And then we started doing it. <laughs> and I was really kind of, oh my gosh, I know where this is going. I... I began to feel really a bit like this. This is I've moved beyond this, but I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. You know, because there was a time when I thought I'd be in that church for the rest of my life, uh, and I genuinely had believed that only about three or four years before. And now it was like, no, I'm I'm, I'm outgrowing this. Well, they're going backwards, and I'm going forwards, and we're kind of moving further apart. And I think the big thing that changed everything was we had an LGBTQ couple in our church who ended up leading a home group um, almost by accident and they were good leaders I mean they were good leaders they were they were leading people to in faith they were being faithful to what they were being asked to do you know, were, you know there was absolutely no issue with them at all apart from their sexuality and uh, they, had this, they had this leaders meeting which I went to there was, there was a, quite a few people in leadership in the church and 
talking about this struggle with what to do. Um, and this made me really uncomfortable because I was like, well, why are we even having this meeting? We don't need this meeting. There's nothing wrong with them. They're doing a good job. Why do we need to talk about this? This, is, this should not be an issue. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be divisive. I wanted to hold our disagreements in tension. <laughs> so I let it slide. And in the end, the pastors couldn't make a decision. And the head of the denomination, which is a vineyard, made a decision. Mm. And they were told not to do the home group. Yeah. And that was a big pivot point. Because at that point, I thought, and that's, that's when I kind of decided in my soul that I was leaving. I didn't consciously make that decision for another six months or so. But I consciously made the decision when it came to a point where it says, if I stay any longer, I am condoning which is effectively homophobia in my church. I'm condoning LGBT exclusion. I'm going against everything that I believe. And so I had to get out. Yeah. And also, I was getting to a point where I couldn't even go into the church and listen to the sermon or sing the songs. I was showing up and then not going in because I couldn't, because it was too painful. And I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, I, and, and I thought, oh, I, I can't, I can't, this can't go on. I have to, I have to move. And so I started looking for somewhere else. Interesting. I just wanted to say, uh, I'm sure for some of my audience, that's probably a hard thing to hear, right? Because uh, I'm I'm sure that many of them are are very conservative, um, and I appreciate your perspective on that. I tried to sort of um, personally just thread the needle a little bit in the sense that I, I, uh, you know, I'm not sure that it matters what I think about the sexuality of it. I think what it matters is that uh, God loves that person, right? That's and so how how do we love one another? Um, and so we've, you know, we, we had Ty White, Ty Wiss on the show, um, earlier in the year who has a ministry bridging the church and, um, and the LGBTQ plus community. And I love that. So, um, anyway, so just for the record, I just, I wanted, I, I was afraid, I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable or, you know, it's, yeah. it's okay. And these are your opinions and that's fine. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, and I also want to make clear, this is my story. Absolutely. Right. This is not a judgment or a sweeping statement about every evangelical church. It's not a sweeping statement about um, anyone else's experiences. Um, and I'll, actually, I will say this: I've got friends who are evangelicals. Yeah. Right. We disagree on we disagree on theology, but we're still friends, and we still hang out with each other, and we still go out for drinks and stuff, and we still chat. So, uh, and I think I'm glad I have that because I don't want just to be friends with people who agree with me which makes sense with what you were saying right sorry <laughs> which makes sense with what you were saying about you know the the exclusion that bothered you yeah that's right that's right and then you know and i i it, i think it's really important i've come to a place where i changed how i believe as much as what i believe because uh, how you hold your beliefs is really important are well, you willing to listen to other people's stories are you willing to listen to other people's experiences even if they disagree with you, are you willing to understand where mm. they're coming from and why they might believe what they believe and where that comes from and who they are? And, you know, and I think that's really important that you do that because when you do that, you can learn from them and they might be able to learn from you. And then you have growth. And it's not about, then it's not about the ego and I'm right and you're wrong. It's more, how can we learn from each other and, and hold those disagreements in tension and still have a relationship? And I'm learning how to do that. And that's been that's such a gift when you're able to do that. Yeah. Because then your friendships are not based on what you believe. They are just based on like a shared perspective in terms of I'm willing to listen to other people and have healthy relationships, right. whatever we believe. Right, totally agree. That, 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 so, so if there's people who are evangelicals who are listening, I have nothing against like evangelicals. I'm not one of these people that goes out launching agendas and attacks at evangelicals as a sweeping statement. I, 
I'm not interested in that. I will call out injustice and things that I think are wrong. But that's different from making a sweeping statement about a whole group of people. Right. Um, especially when I've got friends who are in that group of people. So, you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't exclude people based on what they believed. He listened to them and talked to them and ate with them. Um, and then he called out injustice where he saw it. That's, that's my example. That's the one I try and follow. And I'm not perfect. I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. But that's what I try to, to do. Yeah. What did you think? My podcast as well. So, yeah. I love that. What, what did you think during that season that God was doing with you? Like, what, was, he, was he present? You said that you don't kind of have the prayer intimacy like you maybe used to. But what's the what's kind of upshot of that whole season for you? Well, I, yeah, this, this, is, this is the interesting part. I, I, had, I went to the church community I now attend. Well, at the moment I'm attending digitally, obviously. But I went to this, this meeting, and, it was, and it's this um, contemplative community. Mm. There's about 20 people, very small, quiet, intimate, no band, um, practice contemplation, practice silence, practice Teze, um, Celtic stuff, yeah. Agape, all of those kind of things. And I went there and I remember going in and it was this small kind of Anglican chapel building that they meet in. And I remember breathing out in church for the first time. Wow. It was the first time I breathed out in church for a long time. It's the first time I felt safe in a church for years. And I remember I was still in between churches, so I was still going to the other church at the time as well. And I remember going to that church the next week and feeling that physical, almost like a straitjacket around me. I wasn't able to breathe. I wasn't able to just be me in that place anymore. Uh, and that's when I realized, because sometimes you can be in a lot of pain, you don't realize, yeah. because your body adapts to it. Well, I had, I actually had this as well, where I became so used to being tense all the time, that I didn't notice I was tense. <laughs> I didn't even feel it. Right. <laughs> it's, you know, um, and that was to do with my anxiety. But it was the same, the same thing was happening spiritually. And so, and that was like, so that was a revelation. And I started going to that community. Um, and I started also at that point I started practicing yoga and meditation and things like that which are really helpful for my spiritual journey and in the midst of that I had a transcendent spiritual experience and that, I know that's what it was mm. we were doing Taze chants and these are French some of these are French so my mother was a French teacher and spoke fluent French right? so even after her attack she never forgot any of her French wow and, did you learn uh, French? It, sorry? Did you, she teach you French? She tried to. We <laughs> <laughs> <Oui, oui. laughs> Typical when it's your own children, I think. I think yeah. It's, 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 different, it's a different context. But, uh, but yeah, we were doing this table chat and I was getting, all the, getting some of the French words wrong. And I started laughing and suddenly it was almost like I was outside of time, outside of space. It was like, this moment had been frozen and I was laughing. It was almost like my mother was there laughing. We were joking about me getting the words wrong, <laughs> the French words wrong. And it was, it was just, I can't describe it. I can't describe it. It's like, almost like, you know, I, I can't try to think of a good example. You know, like when in X-Men, when Patrick Stewart freezes time, yeah. And he's walking around in it and everyone else is just frozen, right? Yep. It was like that. It was like being like that. And it was, and, and it was just this serenity, this peace. Um, and it was a spiritual experience. And I remember leaving the service after it finished and I was still in that space. It was, I just didn't know it. I didn't know what had happened until I got home and started journaling about it. I was like, oh my gosh, that was a, Wow, that was a transcendent spiritual experience wow. with my mother, and that was real, and and it was I don't know, it was such a gift, and it was because I spent time doing a lot of silent prayer, a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga, a lot of contemplation, 
I've done a lot of work with my spiritual director, um, who I'd had been with for quite a while by then. And I think it just all came together in that moment. Wow. And it, um, it was really healing and really peaceful and really helpful for, for grief as well. And yeah, I had, I, that was just one experience that I had. And so, yeah. And I, I've had a few since where I've been just kind of taken away, taken out of myself into almost out of time. And it was like, well, it's like reading Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The Sabbath, where he talks about um, Sabbath being like this moment that's almost taken out of time, which can feel like, which can, which when it ends can feel like an eternity has passed, but it's in an actual time is only like a second or two or a minute or like an hour. Yeah. But what's happened, but what has happened in that, in that, in that moment is like an eternity. And that's what had happened. And it was amazing. I, I think <laughs> God does those kinds of things. And it, one of the things that certainly from this podcast I've learned is that, uh, as I started to reflect on people sharing with me, mystical experiences like that, I started to realize that throughout scripture, there, there's almost nobody that you can find that doesn't have some sort of mystical experience, like beginning to end. And so I had to decide, Oh, I do believe in this. Right. And uh, I've had certain ones myself, but um, interesting. I think that's really fascinating. What's the effect of when you have those moments on you? Like, how does that change you? It was elation. It was, yeah. it, was like, it was like, wow, you know, wonder or like just, but just this deep sense of peace and oneness and joy it's not happiness. Happiness is too shallow a word to describe it. It's just this deep sense of you're not alone and that everything's okay and uh, kind of connection with yourself and with God. Like it, it was a moment of real deep connection with myself as well as God. Mm. See, that I think is really interesting. Well, because there was a grieving part to it as well because it was my mother so there was there was there were, there were tears as well and but it was joy and it was peace and it was it was yeah it was and wonder just wonder yeah but well, that sounds like a real gift yeah it was i i journaled about it i read about it and uh, i made sure i did because i wanted to try and capture that and because it was such a big moment yeah yeah um, well, tell us, so I'm sure there's a lot more that we could go into. It sounds like that was a moment where you, when you were able to kind of be at peace with yourself and find yourself, I'm sure there's a lot more to that story. Um, but before we finish up, I want to be sure we share and talk about your podcast a little bit. So the, the Poema podcast, what, what do you do? What do you do there? And why'd you get, where'd that name come from? Okay. Yeah. I, well, the podcast started back in 2015. So you've been podcasting longer than me. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was. I'd been writing for a long time, and I've had some issues with my writing. I'd been betrayed by a couple of writing mentors, and uh, and that left a big wound and damaged my love of writing, and which I'm just recovering. But that's a whole different story. So in hindsight, that was it was a way to to express my creative side without writing. And I wanted to do a podcast anyway, but I hadn't figured out how I would do a podcast and what I would do on a podcast. And it kind of hit me um, of how about we have some conversations about faith, about spirituality, about creativity, about uh, mental health, about important things that matter. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do a podcast. And initially it was called James Talks because I couldn't think of another name. <laughs> I wrote this with names. So yeah. That's what it was called for like the first eight months or something, I think. Uh, and at that point, like, I, I started getting people, inviting people to come on. I just, on the off chance, I had no idea whether they would come on. Uh, it was like, I, I was just, I, you know, I just, I, got, I just sent emails to, to major authors and just like, will you come on my show? 
And so I started getting some. Uh, Sarah Bessie was the, the first real big. Yeah, I had. she's pretty big. And, you know, within a year, I'd interviewed like Rob Bell and Pete Rollins and um, people that are kind of inspirations to me. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was great. Uh, and, and then I changed the name because I wanted to have a, a name which was less focused on me and more focused on the content. And somebody suggested this word, poema. Poema is a Greek word from scripture. It's when Paul talks about we are God's workmanship. Yeah. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The word for workmanship is poema. That's the Greek word. It's basically a word that means divine masterpiece. It's a word about spirituality, identity, creativity. Uh, it kind of embodied everything that I wanted to talk about. So I changed the name to that. Uh, and that's why it's it stayed that way. And it really has embodied everything that I've done on that podcast because we talk about mental health, we talk about spirituality, deconstruction, we talk about um, the creative process, we talk about finding your true self, we talk about you know LGBT inclusion, we talk about you know all these kind of things we talk about on the show, and they're all related to that. And it's I just love doing it. <laughs> I love doing it. And I get to talk to some great people and I've made some really good friendships through that podcast. It's been just one of the most fun things I've done, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and even to this day, I don't look at the numbers or anything like that. I, I don't, because I don't do it for that reason. I do it because I genuinely love doing it. And, mm. um, it's, yeah, it's the best thing I, I've done, I think. That's fan- fantastic. I love it. Um, that certainly is a, is a great word, poema. That, that's the, that just is one of those things that inspires me to keep pursuing uh, who the Lord has encouraged or has made me to be right. Because if we're his workmanship, we're his poem, then uh, we have to keep finding, finding that, uh, you know, keep work, keep writing the lines if, as it were right over and yeah. over. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, James, I, I love it. And I, I'm sure we could talk for a long time and maybe we'll have to have a follow-up and, and dive into a couple of things. Cause there's a few things I have questions for you about, but um, yeah. where can people find you? They can find you. It's at, uh, so your website. I've got it right here. Jamesprescott.co.uk, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I can find that there. Um, the podcast is available basically anywhere you get podcasts, you know, iTunes, Spotify, um, any podcast platform is there. Um, and the, the, the logo is a basic, it's a picture of me on it and it says I'm a podcast on it. So, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's me. Yeah. Um, also, the actual podcast website is jamesprescott.podbean.com as well. You can also catch it, catch me on social media, jamesprescott77. Uh, and Poma Podcast has its own Twitter account as well. So awesome. Which is at Poma Podcast. So, that's how you can connect with me. Yeah. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook and stuff as well. Great. I've got links to all that at halfway there podcast.com in the show notes. So you guys can just go there. Uh, it, these days, even in the app, they have the whole show notes. So that's pretty cool. You can just click on that and go there. And uh, James, is there anything you want to leave us with? The thing that you know, I keep coming back to, and this was the, this was the title of my first podcast episode, well and it feels so true you are not alone whatever you're going through whatever you're experiencing whatever grief you're carrying whatever 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 is going on in your life you are not alone there are other people going through it as well there are spaces you can find those people um the valley not empty mm. it is full of people and um, you can sit down and rest with those people and they will hold space to you wherever you are and you are loved and accepted as you are and uh, and yeah you are not alone mm, I love that uh, I love the, the phrase you use hold space I don't know why that particular phrase resonates in my spirit but I love it as a 
as a, a thing that we do for somebody else, right? Just hold that space open to let you be. Um, sometimes we need that. And uh, there's almost nothing else that is a, is a greater gift as far as I'm concerned. Um, so James, it's been a pleasure to just hold a little bit of podcasting space for you right here. Thanks for being here, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show.